Let's make today the day you start the business that will change your life. You'll learn how at Income School. Income School is about taking your income into your own hands by creating a website that people will love, building a following, and earning a living online. And now your host, Jim Harmer. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Income School podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with a fellow listener of the Income School podcast. Doug has started a website about 60 days ago at jewelrymonk.com, where he's sharing advice on uh, making jewelry. And he has a lot of industry experience, and now he's sharing that on the website. He has seen really fantastic results already in building his community, and so we want to hear what's been working for him to build that the traffic and and that following up really quickly and also Doug has a lot of questions about about the legal side of his business and getting things set up properly so welcome to the podcast Doug well thank you Jim well tell us a little bit about jewelry monk well it's uh, something that I've kind of had in the back of my mind for for a number of years um, uh, teaching is is one of the passions that I have and and uh, I've been making jewelry for, you know, 25, 28 years. And, you know, I started listening to a number of podcasts. In fact, uh, yours a while back, you know, the, the photography, improved photography. And I thought, you know what, I can do that same thing with the information that I have in jewelry. You know, all it is is just sharing information and, and kind of getting a gathering of people that follow. So uh, about 60 days ago, I decided to, to kick it off and I, I uh, made a kind of a goal to myself the first 90 days I'm going to put a put a post out every day um, just jewelry tips and tricks and and stuff like that to just kind of earn the trust of people um, they can see kind of what I do and 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 how I go about it and and it's really taken off it's uh, kind of exciting it's uh, you know today is actually day number 60 um, in a row that I've put a blog post up there with again um, different aspects of jewelry making, whether it be, you know, polishing or setting stones or, uh, you know, just metal work and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of where I am right now. I haven't really focused on monetizing it yet. It's it's still in the back of my mind, but right now I'm just kind of kicking it off the ground to get a good, good base of people that are following and, and kind of uh, earn people's trust. Well, congratulations. I don't mean to sound like a broken record here, but I have been saying for a while that if you write every day, good things will happen. And you've written every day and good things are happening. So I'm really glad to see that. Um, I, I Well, tell us a little bit about your about your numbers, uh, you know, what you're getting in terms of, of, of traffic to your website and subscribers to your email list and how exactly you've gotten that. Oh, and when it first kicked off, I... Uh, I- there's a, a few um, different Facebook pages on jewelry making. So I, I kind of congregated to them and, uh, you know, just kind of put some posts with, with a link to my website. and Just, just kind commenting of talk- on their Facebook page. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a number of jewelry groups out there. So I, I've been kind of visiting them daily and, and showing those tips and tricks that I post on my website and, and always putting a link to it, you know, just so that people can kind of congregate there. Um, so when I first started out, it, it really took off and I was getting, you know, the first couple of weeks I was getting between, oh, 700 and a thousand visitors to my site a day. Um, now that it's, uh, 
been going for a while. It's it's kind of leveled off a little bit, but I'm getting a steady, you know, 300 people a day visiting the site. And I've got, you know, close to 300, 350 uh, subscribers that actually get the blog post, you know, sent to their email every day. Okay. Have you done anything with Pinterest yet? Yes, I started a, a Pinterest and a Twitter account right away. And I've been, every day that I post on uh, my my website, I also have a, you know, Jewelry Monk on Facebook. I have Jewelry Monk on Pinterest and Jewelry Monk on Twitter. And every day that I post, I also put a post on those sites as well. Just, you know, just kind of a quick little uh, picture and, and description and then a, a link to the site. That's great. I have you have you thought about implementing the Pinterest strategy that I've been talking about about having a you know a tall long picture that has the text of the uh, the name of the article on the picture? Yes, I do, and that's what I do. I when I uh, you know get into you know Photoshop, I I crop it so that it is long. I put a headline across the top, and then there's always um, the link to the website on the bottom. And also every picture that I you know take and post in my tutorials, there's always a link, you know, a uh, the website link on the bottom just because I know when I first started out, I was seeing pictures that I was taking on other people's, um, you know, spots and websites and stuff. So they were, they were seeing the information and they were, you know, pulling the pictures off and, and using them here and there. So I, so I made it a point always to, you know, put my website on every picture that I take. Okay, and I see the website on it. I I would love to see the name of the article on some of these pictures um, because then when somebody sees it on Pinterest, you know, like in the picture that I happen to be looking at right now on Jewelry Monk, it's two pairs of pliers holding, you know, a little sheet of metal or something. Mm -hmm. And so if I see that and see Jewelry Monk, I don't really know what I'm getting here if I click that link. But if I see, you know... Uh, building a fancy rectangle stone bezel and that picture, then ah, I, I'm if I'm a jewelry maker, that speaks to me immediately. I want that tutorial. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure where I'm going to go. So I would love to see that on the pictures. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, just one other quick suggestion is I, I love that you're writing every day. That is awesome. Um, that, that's just really fantastic. One thing that I, I'm always a little bit concerned with is exactly what people are going to think when they see the website for the first time, making sure you're a really good host to the people that come. And so if I come and I see day 59 soldering a bezel to a shank, my very first thought when I got there is, oh, I've kind of missed the boat on this. Uh, this has already gone on 60 days. I don't know what, what day 60 is, what's happening, and I'm already two months behind. Okay. So you may consider just removing that line, day 59, day 58, whatever, uh, from the titles of the articles just to not put people off who, who may feel that way like I did when I first got there. Okay. Well, thanks. That's a good idea. I love that you have a recommended tools section of the website. That's excellent. The website is clean and easy to navigate. That's fantastic. I'm guessing this is WooThemes Canvas? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, I, I, I've always felt that that theme feels a little bit blank, that there's not a whole lot going on with it, but it is very easy to navigate. And so I, I would definitely take that over a fancy schmancy looking website that's complicated to navigate. So I'm really glad to see that. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, uh, I just implemented the canvas theme within the past week and I'm still kind of toying around with it. I just, okay. I just got a new logo and I put it on there. So I don't, it, I'm trying to keep the site, you know, quick so that you can go there, visit it, 
see the, you know, the tutorial or whatever in 500 words or so and, you know, just not be overloaded with information right now. Awesome. Once I, you know, once I get, uh, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, with either the, the, the video lessons or the eBooks and stuff like that, then I might incorporate a different theme, you know, just to kind of make stuff a little bit easier to, to navigate through. But right now I just kind of try to make it, um, simple and clean, you know, and just the information out there. Good. I definitely think you're on the right track there. Well, you said you had a whole bunch of questions. Yeah, I do. Um, the first question I had was, I, you know, I've heard you say, I know you're, you're a lawyer, but you're not my lawyer. Mm-hmm. But um, what kind of a business do you suggest that I set up for an online business, whether it be a sole proprietorship, uh, an LLC, a corporation, you know, um, okay. just kind of looking to get some ideas because I know once this, this takes off a little bit, I'm going to have to have some kind of a business structure. Okay, well, you know, there's obviously not a one-size-fits-all answer, but let's work work through the decision tree so that so that uh, you and, and others uh, will kind of have the steps that you'd take. Now, I'll, I'll say right off the bat, there isn't, you know, a clear answer, but I'm going to guess 95, 99% of new uh, blogs are going to want an LLC. Um but but it's not a clear answer, and there are other options. So first, do you have assets that need to be protected? Do you own a house, a car, things like that? Yes, yes, I do. All right, that's a that's a good first question because if you don't, you know, maybe it's just not a real big deal to worry about this, and we can just worry uh, work as a sole proprietor, and it's just not a huge deal. Uh, but if there are assets to be protected, then yeah, we're going to want some kind of structure to uh, to protect that. Now, um, how much do you expect the business would make in the first year? I, uh, I obviously that's a really hard question to answer, but you know, and realistically, what do you think? Yeah, in the first year, um, I'm guessing by by the end of the first year, I'm looking at you know maybe five thousand dollars a month or so. And is anybody else working with you in in um, the business? No, it's just myself right now. Are you married? Yes. Okay. Um, well, uh, and then, yeah. Okay. So we, we have, we have some good information in this case, you're probably right to, to start an LLC. If you are going to start, you know, once probably after this first year, probably in 2015, because in 2014, you'll probably make little to no money. Uh, okay. although, uh, Black Friday is coming up and, I would love to see you come out with a product on Black Friday. With this this kind of industry, you know, jewelry making, Christmas is going to go insane for an industry like this or, or, or you know, whatever kind of hobby industries just go wild uh, from November until Christmas. And okay. so people are going to be buying jewelry making kits and all kinds of things. So I, you're working on building up an audience. In your case, I might accelerate the time that I say it's time for a product because you really want to be ready on Black Friday. You could make a really big splash and help build your audience by having a product ready for Black Friday and advertising it with Facebook ads. So, okay. um, so you know, th- that may change the situation a little bit and how much you make in 2014. But, but let's look toward 2015 and say, okay, that's the year that we're really going to, you know, maybe we're going to file for our LLC in 2015. And that's not a bad idea. Well, um, I, I guess before we do that, have you already done a patent and trademark search? Um, I, I did. I went to the, the website and 
kind of looked for the the trademark and patent on the name, and I didn't see anything there. Okay, it's a pretty unique name, so you you know it's doubtful that there's out there. And the website you're talking about is USPTO.gov, at least for yes. the United States. You know, Canada has their own, and many most other countries will have some kind of uh, place that you can search this. But also the fact that JewelryMonk.com is is available makes it pretty likely that uh, th- that you're going to be okay. The the only real concern after that point that you've done that is you just want to make sure that there's nothing confusingly similar, uh, you know, jewelrymoney.com or jewelrypriest.com, you know, just something that people could possibly get confused with, even if it's not exactly the same words. All okay. right. So we're probably okay there. Um, and, and the reason that I want to take that step before we register the business is this is this is going to be a dead end real quick if there's another business named Jewelry Monk, because when you, when you submit your papers to the Secretary of State. What state are you living in? Uh, South Dakota. All right. So we're in South Dakota. When you submit your papers to the Secretary of State, they're usually going to search at least for people in South Dakota to make sure there isn't another business. It's not their responsibility, but at least in Idaho, that's something that, that happens. Okay. okay. Uh, so we're going to be fine there. So we're going to register that LLC. Now, um, the question then is, do you want to be an LLC for tax and liability purposes or just for liability purposes? If your business is going to make a significant amount of money, let's call it a about $80,000 in a year, then you probably want to do what's called an S-Corp election. And that's just for taxes. You're still going to be Jewelry Monk LLC. And that's what you're going to put on your website and your letterhead and your business card. It's still Jewelry Monk LLC. But you just file a simple paper with the IRS that says, I know we're an LLC, but I want you to treat me like an S-Corp just for tax purposes. And by doing that, you get to skip out on the self-employment taxes. Well, at least a good portion of it, um, because you are going to have other expenses. Like once once you make that S-Corp election, your expenses that you're going to pay to an accountant are going to go up because it's a little bit more complicated of an entity. But, you know, it, it, you could be saving, you know, ten, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a year in taxes by making that S-Corp election if you're making significant money. If you're not, you know, you're making less than $80,000, then add, don't do this for sure. Just pay the self-employment tax and call it a day. It's definitely not worth worth going into that. But, you know, the $80,000 mark is about where we start to say, all right, we got a decision to make. We may want to go to the S-Corp. Um, so, so that's probably what I'd choose for your entity. Okay. All right, what about... Um say like liabilities, uh, disclaimers, uh, liability insurance and stuff like that. I know that kind of all falls under the same umbrella. Yeah. Um, disclaimers aren't, I mean, I mean, there's, there's always things to be careful with, you know, people are working with tools here and, you know, we probably want something on, on there that says, you know, do it at your own risk. Be careful. Don't, don't work, you know, above what, uh, above what uh you know your skill level is don't you go don't go use a power saw if you've never used one something like that just just a very simple statement you know 
do this at your own risk. I don't think you need to go so crazy that you have a major big disclaimer in every in every blog post you write, but just something very simple in the footer that says, you know, make jewelry at your own risk or or something like that uh, is probably prudent, but but in reality would be very unlikely to to cause problems. The most likely places that you're going to see problems with a site like this are in copyright problems, you know, with jewelry. If somebody has a unique design to their jewelry and you're uh, making a very similar design and teaching other people how to do it, that that could be an issue. Um, I, I don't know specifically the laws of, of copyright there. And it may fall under the same classification as clothing. Clothing, for example, is almost impossible to copyright. You know, if Abercrombie wants to come out with a, a really unique looking shirt with with these special stripes and color scheme somebody can go right out and rip it out and there's nothing nothing really that abercrombie can do if somebody puts abercrombie on the shirt that's a real problem but the design of clothing is usually not copyrightable now about jewelry i don't know if that's the case so that's something you may want to check into even write a blog post about it and see if that's that's somewhere you're going to have to be cautious of as as you go along because uh, that that could cause a problem but in reality again probably the worst that's going to happen is somebody's going to send you a DMCA takedown notice and say hey quit copying my designs and and you'll be done with it okay and and I've thought about that as well cuz one of the the next things after I get this initial 90 days going um, and I, actually, probably within the next couple of weeks, I'll be starting a podcast as well, a Jewelry Monk podcast, and and maybe even get somebody who's who's a specialty in copyright laws, and and maybe just do a, a show dedicated to that and ask questions and you know situations and stuff. So that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah, I'd want to get the lay of the land on that and and kind of see see what to be aware of but i you know i wouldn't lose any sleep over it i think you're probably just going to be just fine and then the other the other two areas that that can cause likely problems are um one if you are holding customer data then you have to be really careful with how that data is held so if you're taking credit cards directly on your site you know Hire a web designer or, or a web developer to, to take a look at it. Somebody who's done this before, just to take a glance and make sure you're doing everything right. For example, when I started taking credit cards on my website for the first time, I didn't know about an SSL certificate, and I thought the plugin that I was using took care of it. And so for a very short amount of time, you know, a few hours, I was taking credit cards, and my site was not secured. And that could be a, just a disaster if something like that happened. So when you're ready to take to take cards directly on your site, mm, yeah, it, it's worth hiring somebody to take a look at this and make, make sure, you know, you got everything set up correctly. And... And uh, so we got that. And then the next thing is, if you're teaching people to make jewelry for business, for money, just be really careful about the promises you're making to people. For example, at the end of the podcast episode, you all hear the fine print that uh, that uh, is read. And the, the the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, they're they're very concerned when businesses are making promises about how much money you can make doing this, this, that, or the other. And so if you're teaching people how to make jewelry for money, you know, be careful with simple things like, you know, you're going to make a title of, you know, how to make a thousand dollars in jewelry in your first month. 
well, oh, what if somebody doesn't make the thousand dollars? You know, the FTC can be, be really picky about that stuff. So just be careful if you're teaching people about the business of jewelry making that you're uh, really straightforward about your promises. And I'm not saying that you try to deceive people, but sometimes you're just writing a catchy title. You don't really think anybody's going to take you literally. And the FTC kind of does. Okay. Um, I think we talked about, you know, copywriting and trademarking, but what about uh, like protecting your brand and your content? Is there certain ways? Because like I said, I, I'm, you know, watermarking all the pictures that I have because I noticed people were pulling them off and using them for their own thing. But um, is there anything other than that that I can do just to protect the information that I'm putting out there? You know, especially when I come into uh, making uh, video tutorials and uh, stuff like that. Okay, well, let's take each piece of content separately. Pictures, text, and video. So with pictures, let's say somebody wanted to grab your picture of a bracelet and they wanted to put it on their website. What would they have to give you to make you happy? Are you going to be happy if they just link to you? Do you not want them to take it at all? Or, you know, are you okay if they just, you know, run wild with it as long as they uh, maybe have the picture link back to you? Yeah, I think that's fine. You know, just as long as they give credit back to the original site, you know, because the whole the whole purpose and focus is to draw traffic to to a Jewelry Monk website. You know, so as long as there's a link or some way that points to that, you know, that's fine. Okay. What you could do is, well, yeah, there, there are a lot of different strategies for this. One is, if, if you want to really protect your, your photos from a legal standpoint, and, and there may be some purpose to do that, because, you know, in an industry like this where you have a lot of pictures showing exactly what you're doing and people are obviously interested in them, what you can do is, I, I'd probably say twice a year, get all of the pictures, all of them, everything, and you want to register your copyright for those pictures. It's not terribly difficult to do, um, and so you you just just search register copyright and you'll see a link come right up. There's pretty easy tutorials on the government website how to do that. Now, when you do that, that gives you a gigantic advantage in case somebody takes your picture, a competitor or whatever, a competitive uh, blog, website, company, and they start using your picture and you're not happy with it. Um, because then you can sue for, I mean, gigantic gigantic damages if that happens, you know, in the neighborhood of $100,000 for taking a picture. Um, So, you know, if Bob's blog does it, you don't really care because Bob's blog doesn't even have $100,000 to give you. But if another company does in the industry, yeah, I mean, you, you have some serious firepower to go after that person for. So Mm -hmm. registering your copyright a couple times a year is good. So you'll just take all the pictures that you have and put it on there. Now, there's a difference between published and unpublished images. If the photo has been published, it's a little bit trickier, which published can just mean I put it on my Facebook page. I put it on my blog. That's published. So that's, you know, it's okay. And and you want to put up you want to put up your pictures without registering every single time before a blog post. That'd be ridiculous. So just every, every six months, take everything that you've published and go register that copyright um, if you want to protect them that way. Now, the watermark actually doesn't do hardly anything from a legal standpoint. The only thing that it's that the watermark is really going to do for you is you can get additional statutory damages if somebody removes a watermark from your photo. 
title. If I remember right, it's up to like $30,000 if somebody removes uh, your watermark from the photo. And it's also going to negate the element of intent, uh, which probably isn't necessary most of the time. Anyway... So, so it can be helpful to put that watermark on there, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't freak out about it. If we, if you really want to protect it, I'd probably register the copyright. That's probably the most, the most important thing. Now, what you could do is just put the photos up there. Don't worry about the watermark or anything. And then every every few months, maybe every six months. Take the photo, just drag it from from you know exactly from what you had on your website, and drag that actual file onto the search bar of Google Images, not regular Google. And what that's going to do is by dragging that file onto the search bar, Google will do a search for other websites that have that exact same photo. So you may see it on Pinterest, that's fine. You may see it on Google, or you may see it on on uh, Facebook, that's fine. Google Pinterest, and then you see it on Bob's blog. And you say, Bob didn't ask my permission to use this photo. And then you just email Bob and say, hey, love your blog. Love what you're doing. Uh, I saw you used my photo. Uh, I would have appreciated if you asked, but that's okay as long as you'll put a link in that article to my website. And then you're done with it, and that's that's probably the way that I would that I would deal with it. If somebody's going to be a real jerk about it, then yeah, you have the the legal backing behind them behind you to go for it. But nobody's really going to do that. I mean, if you if you're nice about it and you ask them to to link, they'll do it. I've tried lots of different things before to get people to just automatically link to me, which they really should do anyway. And they just don't like releasing my photos under creative commons, things like that. People take the photo and they do not link back. So I I, I wouldn't waste your time on that because from a practical standpoint, nobody ever does it. Okay. uh, Another question, kind of a more, you know, business growing question. Um, I, I seem to get overwhelmed at times by the things that I want to do, you know, whether it be videos, um, audios, podcasting, eBooks, blogging, you know, to the point where I almost get frustrated that things ain't moving fast enough because again, I, I do have a full-time job and this is something I'm putting together in the evenings and the early mornings. I'm only, you know, 60 days into this journey, but do you have any advice about methods of getting through this a little bit more focused and, and you know, kind of going through in a step-by-step process. I've struggled this with this for years, and just in the last six months, I finally hit my stride where I've been able to come to terms with this exact problem. And what I've done is I've created a you know a schedule for me of what happens each day, and uh, and what's going to get published that day. And, and that has really helped me because I have days that things are going to go, to go out. You know, a podcast is going to go out this day, an article is going to go out this day, my email newsletter goes out this day. But I still leave most of my days open. And then my wife, who loves to help keep me on track, which is which I need, uh, just writes on a post-it note, and I stick it on my computer what the project is that I'm working on. And I do not remove that post-it note until the project is done. So right now, I'm working on, for my website, a lens finder. It's about a two-month project, and I, I have a hard time that sometimes in the in the middle of a, of a two-month project, I'll just get really distracted by other things. I'll see something else bright and shiny and I don't finish it out. And so I keep that on there that I, 
you know, if I'm not working on one of those, you know, Monday article, Wednesday podcast, Thursday YouTube video, if I'm not in that schedule, I'm working on the project. And and I find that to be to really work for me. So what you may do, you said you were you were starting a podcast, you know, decide, okay, my podcast is coming out on Mondays. I'm sending it out out an email newsletter on Thursdays. And, you know, every Wednesday, I'm going to write a big feature article. On the other days, Tuesday and Friday and Saturday, I'm going to work on a project. And on my post-it note, my project right now is I want 20 YouTube videos up this month. And, you know, whatever thing you want to sprint at right now, you know, a bigger project more than just a regular old blog post that you want to sprint at and, and, ta- and tackle. I want to make my product this month. Things like that. Okay. Um, another question that kind of goes along that is, is I have this mentality of, you know, I can do it all, but at what point do you start putting together a team of others to help in some of those tasks, maybe a virtual assistant, a podcast editor, et cetera? That's, that, uh, that, that's a tricky one. And, and another one that I have really struggled with, I, I've tried just about every way of building out a team. I, I've had full-time employees, I've had virtual employees, I've had independent contractors, and I've had employees who aren't working on-site, who are working virtually. And uh, each of them has their, their benefits and drawbacks. But I would say the the biggest mistake that I tried to make in the beginning is picking a person that could be another version of me to get more work done. I, I would not hire a f- anybody to work anywhere near full-time to begin with. I would start by outsourcing the smallest project that you possibly could ha- could outsource. So, you know, podcast editing, for example, I know a lot of guys spend a ton of time on that. That is silly in my mind. People want to listen to the audio. Why are you spending $50 an episode to put out a transcript is just silly to me. Um, or, Or why you're spending all the time to record the episode and then listen to the whole episode again before publishing it so that you can edit it. I I record live and publish the file that I have. If something terrible happens during the interview and it's just a disaster, uh, every once in a while I've got to go back through and edit edit an episode. But I want that live thing to just get out. So I can do the podcast editing myself and it's going to take literally five minutes after I'm done recording that episode is live on the website. So some things you may get away with just simplifying instead of, of, of outsourcing. Okay. Yeah, and I've noticed that too. When I first started podcasting a year and a half ago, you know, it took me hours to go through and edit and take out all the ums and. Oh and yeah, I did that it. too. Now, now to the point where there's three of us that actually sit down and we just talk about you know the the racing that's going on in the area, and I just break it up into segments. I put a little you know music or something in between the segments, just drop them in there and and you know produce it that way. You know, all the all the warts and all the the scars and everything just stay in there. That's just part of the character of who we are and and it adds a little bit more personality to it as well. Mhm. Yeah, I I totally agree if it, it is just not worth anybody's time to edit a podcast episode. You need something that you can record start to finish and and make it sound good. Okay. Um another question. Um I know that you've you've talked about you know, content versus SEO. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, is there a, a good way of writing headlines that are going to 
be a little bit more effective when it comes to you know some of those um, search engines and stuff like that when you are writing blog posts and stuff? I think the most important thing is that you just truly ask yourself, if I were looking at a Google search result page for you know, how to make a bracelet, would I click on this headline? And if the answer is yes, then you're on the right track. If the answer is no, then something's probably wrong. Now, so I, I think to make a good headline, you need two things. One, you need a little bit of interest in it. You know, if it's just like how to make bracelets, and that's what it says in Google, eh, it sounds a little bit dry when the next result down is 15 essential tips for, for making bracelets they're probably going to click the other one. It just sounds more interesting, a little bit more catchy. So you do need some element of, of interest in there, something that's going to make them click. Otherwise, you know, great, you're number one in Google, but nobody's clicking on you. And so Google thought you had a great article. They put you at number one. Nobody clicks on that. Well, Google's going to stop making you number one for very long and you're going to be out of there. So one, have some interest, and two, make sure that that the article is descriptive of the information that you have, even without any context. So if you have, you know, an article on, on macro lenses, but it's within the greater context of this page is actually going on, on a page about Canon cameras, well, when somebody comes from Google, they're going to say, oh, this is just Canon junk, and they're out of there. And so make sure you're including the words that will describe the context of the article from somebody that has no context to begin with. So just make sure you're telling people exactly what it is. And I think as long as you do those two things, you're going to be just fine. The most important SEO tip of all time, other than just having good content, is to have long content. I, I just saw a study a couple weeks ago of the number one Google search results, and they searched thousands of different results. And the number one result was something like 2,600 words long. That's a long blog post. But consistently, the number one results in Google are long content, wordy, lots of details. And I think the reason for that is because the the number one result is the guy who answers their question, what they came for, and then they think of four or five other questions that you're going to ask next, and they fix those problems for you too. For example, if I search uh, how to make my own necklace, well, I, I have the answer right there in three paragraphs that says, well, you're basically going to need these tools, and this is basically how you do it. Oh, and I know what you're going to ask next. You're going to say, how do I make a pearl necklace? Because that seems to be what everybody's interested in. Or you say, how do I make sure it's strong enough so that it, so that the, the line doesn't break? Or, or how do I put the clasp on there? What knot do I tie? You think of what other questions they're about to ask and you solve those right away. That's the guy that gets the number one result. So headlines are important and, and that's how I'd approach I'd, I'd approach them but more importantly is write some beefy meaty content okay and I, I'm not familiar with how that you know this, the SEO works does it you know take into consideration the headline more important or the content that's in the in the story itself I don't know if you can really say one is more important than the other. If I had to pick, I'd probably say the content, that it does a good job. But but that headline is very important to Google. If, if you totally mess up your, your headlines, you're going to see a problem. But you'd have to totally mess it up. If you're writing something that's you know has a little bit of interest to it and describes the content, you're going to be just fine. 
Okay. Um, another question, you know, like I said, I'm 60 days into this, but I've already got, uh, you know, over 300 people that are subscribing to my, my blog posts every day. Once I start um, monetizing the site, you know, with uh, videos or, or tutorials and stuff, and those people are getting my content emailed to them every day, does that actually keep them off the website or does it encourage them to go onto the website a little bit more? I don't have any problem with emailing out the blog posts. I, I've actually seen really good success with that, getting people subscribed to, you know, every time I write a blog post, it gets emailed to you. Yes, it, it does keep them off the website, but they're reading your content every single day. So it's not a bad thing. You know, even if, you know, you aren't going to, you know, get the number of, woo, I had more people on the website today but you are going to get them reading your content. That's really what matters. So if you come out with a product, they're still going to see it in their email inbox and they're still going to have the link to buy it just the same. So the only concern there is you're not going to feel as good about yourself because people are reading it on email instead of on your actual website. Okay. And I suppose once I do come out with product, I'll see a little bit more, you know, maybe traffic coming from that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> um I know with with uh, accumulating the email addresses and stuff, um, what's a good, I guess, what do you do with those email addresses? Do I send out newsletters periodically, once a week, once a month? Um, do I, you know, just keep them, you know, seeing the blog posts and stuff like that? Do I advertise to them? What, how much is too much? You know, kind of, I guess, a gray line in there. My strategy is to to not ad, not advertise to them real blatantly, certainly not in every email newsletter. But mm-hmm. when you're ready to advertise to them, really advertise hard. It might be sending five emails to them in the space of a week, you know, when there's a, a product launch out. You know, push hard when those things come, but most of the time don't do anything at all in terms of advertising. Now, the content to put in an email newsletter can be a real trick. I've struggled with that for so long because I say, okay, I just wrote a great blog post. You know, if they're part of the community, they're probably following me on Facebook and watch the blog. So they've probably already seen the article. So why am I sending out an email as well? And if this email newsletter, the only purpose of it is to tell you what's on the blog, then I really should have just signed them up to an RSS reader. Uh, and and so I, I, I've just always kind of felt like, you know, I have to have the email list for, for my purposes, but what am I really giving these people? And I, it wasn't until recently that I finally had my breakthrough and I thought of the behind the photos newsletter. So I share a photo that I took and maybe I shared on Facebook that week. But if you're on the newsletter, you get a full tutorial of exactly my camera settings, where I use the flash, how I post-process the photo in Photoshop, everything. And then there is no way to get old episodes old, uh, you know, episodes of the email newsletter. So, you know, if you read it every week, you you get the goods. But for people who come to it, you know, a few months from now or a year from now, I'm going to take all of those email newsletters that I sent out over the year and I'm going to make it into a book of 50 professional photos and exactly how they're taken. And, you know, if you were on the newsletter, 
sweet. You don't buy the book. You already got it. Um, or maybe buy the book because, because you know, you're interested and now you want a, you know, a nice format of everything together. Uh, but it, it, it's for me, that is finally what's turned the corner. So really, you could do the same thing with Jewelry Monk. You know, here's one piece of jewelry and precisely the steps I took uh, to make this. And that's what you send out in the email newsletter. Don't let anybody get the old episodes. And then a year from now, you, you release it as a book that you've written you know, one, one a week for that, for that whole year. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of the, the theory that I've gone, you know, I'm putting a lot of information out there. And when I do come out with some, some ebook tutorials, um, most of that information is going to be there. And if people are really diligent, they can go back to day 12 and day 18 and day 35 and, and collect all that information. But it's, it's a lot easier to have it all in one concise format. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, you you use uh, the opt-in monster. Yes. Um, and I haven't really incorporated that yet, but um, I know when it when uh, people subscribe to my blog posts and they enter in their email, is there a way that 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 would capture that email so I don't have to go in and manually put it in, or is it you know something that um, you have to go through a process of getting those emails collected into one space? So. When somebody signs up with Optin Monster, it's already integrated with your email provider. The one that I use is MadMimi or Aweber or or Mailchimp or whoever you use. So when somebody enters that, it automatically updates. Okay. And you can also set it up that you know then you have to decide you know you have a sub- subscribe to your blog via email that you know they're going to expect to get the post every day. That's one thing you can do with your email list. I would probably have another email list that's just kind of different content. If we're going to do the subscribe to the blog via email, you probably, you know, you can set up like AWeber, for example, or, or anybody to just grab your your RSS feed and email the post out for the day automatically to them. But but you probably want another list that you can that you can send out, you know, these broadcast messages of just I have a sale, stuff like that. Okay. Um, let's see, one more question. Yeah. How important do you think offline connections are, you know, necessarily like rubbing elbows with people in your community? I know I'm just getting kicked off right now, but eventually it, it should be a pretty good sized group. I know on your, your photography site that you um, plan these trips, these day trips and people kind of congregate and you go out and, and do things. How important is that kind of stuff in building your business? Well, that that's a difficult question and one that I've struggled with because from a numbers standpoint, uh, it's tough to even justify doing. You know, if if I go out and and do something with thirty of my readers in in a city, well, that's tough to justify because I could have spent my time. You know, by the time I fly out there and 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 spend some time with them and talk with people after, spend the whole evening and fly back. I mean, that's two days, and I could have written like five awesome blog posts that went out to 150,000 people in that much time. And so it leaves you to wonder, why am I spending time with 30 people? And I, I, I guess there are a couple answers for that. One is, 
it helps you because you get to, you know, I've received some really nice insights on my business and what I do by actually sitting down and talking with people more than over the phone or Skype or anything else, which I also do. I mean, I'm emailing people in my community every day, you know, 20 emails. So I I have a lot of connection with them that way, but it's tough to... It's, I mean, I mean, nothing really replicates that experience of, of sitting down and spending some time with people. So that it is helpful for you. Um, you're definitely going to get people there to buy your product. So it may pay for the travel, but, but, but in terms of numbers, nah, not worth it at all. And so you, you just have to decide kind of what you need. For me, I just pick a balanced approach. The reason that I travel fairly regularly to spend time with people on my website it's really just to give back, just to, you know, be nice, spend some time with people, people that are really into the brand and really want to uh, to see me, meet me and sh- shoot pictures with me. You know, we got that. I'd, I'd like to meet with you. It's kind of a neat thing to be able to do. But in terms of a business decision, eh, it's just a fair return. Okay. Now, now you may be able to change that scenario. Maybe you'll be able to go to Chicago and and have people pay a hundred bucks to to spend a weekend with you and make it kind of a workshop. That that might that might be worthwhile, but but in general, nah, not worth it. Good, because I know the next thing on my to do list is to create my podcast, and again, probably within the next couple of weeks, I'll get that up. I've already recorded one, and I'll probably get a couple more recorded before I actually launch it. But um, and then after that, I'll probably take some of the information that I've been writing, um, categorize it, and and start writing some eBooks to have some product out there to sell. You know, it's just kind of specialized um, training and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and then after that, hopefully by next year, start doing some video training as well. So it's kind of my my process of thinking. You think that's kind of in the right ballpark? Yes. Um, to contradict myself, because I love podcasting, I would really wonder about creating the podcast at this point and putting that that uh, that effort into YouTube. I I I see people on YouTube right now who are putting the same effort into YouTube that I spend into podcasting, and wow, some of them are just killing it right now. I mean, just absolutely dominating. Podcasting is great. Well, one, it's fun. Two, you you can have a, a pretty big audience that listens to you regularly every week, and so it's going to build those raving fans. But it has limitations as well. 90%, 95% of the people who love jewelry making, love your website, and want everything you hear won't subscribe to your to your podcast because they they just don't have the practice of doing that. My wife, for example, I've tried time and time again to get her listening to podcasts. She just doesn't really enjoy it. It just doesn't really fit into her day. When she's in the car, she just wants to listen to the radio. You know, it's just not of interest to her. And most people, it's not going to be. But for the people who are interested, they're going to become raving, raving fans because they listen to you every single week for an hour. But, but on YouTube, it's totally different because you see the person and you may not listen to 
to every video or watch every video that they do, but you do see a lot of them. And when you see them in person and you, you, you know, you often see their house or their office or where they are, what they wear, you just, you're able to learn a lot about the person. So I, I really do believe in YouTube. I think it's, it's a, it's a great way to, to build a brand and to build some recognition with the people who, who find your website. Well, we've been going on for quite a while. I've really enjoyed the the episode and hearing about your business at Jewelry Monk. You're doing exactly what I want to see from so many people. You know, you're getting out there, you're writing every day, and you're just making it, even if it isn't perfect, even if you're not sure if you're good enough, you're just making it, and you're starting to see those results. So thanks for being on the podcast, and we'll see everybody a little bit later. When you're serious about launching your website, check out Jim's free step-by-step tutorials at IncomeSchool.com. Income School is a production of Improv Photography, LLC. Any opinions expressed by guests and callers do not reflect those of Improv Photography, LLC. Results mentioned not typical. Some links mentioned are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Some calls simulated. Improv Photography, LLC is not a law firm and does not give legal or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a competent licensed CPA or lawyer licensed in your jurisdiction before making business decisions.